You are listening to episode 49 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Our situation is like that at a festival. Sheep and cattle are driven to be sold, and most people come either to buy or to sell while only a few come to look at the spectacle of the festival, to see how it is proceeding and why, and who is organizing it, and for what purpose. So also is this festival of the world. Some people are like sheep and cattle, and are interested in nothing but their fodder. For in the case of those of you who are interested in nothing but your property, and land, and slaves, and public posts, all of that is nothing more than fodder. Few indeed are those who attend the fair for love of the spectacle, asking, What is the universe, then, and who governs it? No one at all? Discourses 2, 14, 23-25 In this passage, Epictetus paints a pretty unflattering picture of the mass of humanity. He suggests that most people treat the festival of life as a marketplace, where we are distracted by the superficial endeavors of life. This chapter of the Discourses opens with the story of a wealthy, influential Roman father who is attending one of Epictetus' lectures with his son. Midway through that lecture, Epictetus instructs his students that they must imitate God. With this, the father asked, Where are we to start then? The father now has Epictetus' undivided attention, and I can only imagine that he did not know what that would entail. Epictetus acknowledges the father's wealth and the fact that he is likely known even to Caesar. Nevertheless, he informs the father that he lacks what is most essential for happiness. Quote, You know neither what God is, nor what a human being is, nor what is good, nor what is bad. Next, Epictetus suggests that most people, again, behave like sheep and cattle, driven here and there by their appetites, their desires. He argues that only a few people actually love the spectacle of the festival of life, and these few are the ones who inquire about the nature of the festival. They inquire about the nature of the cosmos. Quote, What is the universe then and who governs it? No one at all? And yet, when a city or household cannot survive for even a very short time without someone to govern it and watch over it, how could it be? that such a vast and beautiful structure could be kept so well-ordered by mere chance and good luck, end quote. These individuals also inquire about the nature of the divine, quote, So there must be something governing it. What sort of being is he, and how does he govern it, end quote. Then they inquire about human nature, quote, And we who were created by him, who are we, and what were we created for? End quote. And finally, they inquire about the relationship between humans and the divine. Quote, Are we bound together with him in some kind of union and interrelationship, or is that not the case? End quote. Epictetus continues to elaborate on this small group of people who seek to understand this festival of life. He asserts that they devote their leisure to this one thing alone, to find out about the festival before they take their leave. 
The point here is this. Our quest as philosophers is to discover as much as we can about this festival that we call life before we die. Like Socrates, the true philosopher is naturally curious and cannot be stopped from inquiring. It is in a philosopher's nature to seek wisdom. And the Stoics argue that it is part of our human nature to be curious about the cosmos, humankind, the nature of each, and the relationship between them. Epictetus tells us, quote, But God has brought the human race into the world to be a spectator of himself and of his works, and not merely to observe them, but also to interpret them. It is thus shameful for a human being to begin and end where the irrational animals do. Rather, he should start off where they do and end where nature ended with regard to ourselves. Now it ended with contemplation and understanding and a way of life that is in harmony with nature. Take care, then, that you don't die without having contemplated these realities. Discourses 1, 16, 19-22. Seneca offers a similar list of inquiries. Seneca's list is found in his work appropriately titled Natural Questions, and this list includes the following. What is the material that makes up the universe? Who is the creator or guardian of this universe? Is God concerned with humans? Is God imminent and acting in the world, or does God remain remote? Is God part of the world or the world itself? Natural Questions, Book 1, Preface 1-2. to The similarity between these lists is obvious. However, Seneca follows his list of ponderings with a remarkable statement. Quote, If I were not allowed access to these questions, it would not be worth being born. For what could give me a reason to be glad that I had been included in the ranks of the living? Digesting food and drink? Stuffing full this body which is vulnerable, delicate, and will perish if it is not constantly replenished? And living as a nurse to a sick man? Fearing death, the one thing to which we are born? Take away this invaluable blessing and life is not worth the sweat and the panic. Natural Questions, Book 1, Preface 4. Marcus Aurelius makes a similar argument about the value of human life without the divine. Quote, Let your every action, word, and thought be those of one who could depart from life at any moment. Taking your leave of the human race is nothing to be feared if the gods exist, for they would not involve you in anything bad. If, on the other hand, they do not exist, or they do not concern themselves with human affairs, why should I care to go on living in a world devoid of gods or devoid of providence? But they do exist, and they do show concern for human affairs, and they have placed it wholly within the power of human beings never to fall into genuine evils. And besides, if anything were bad for us, they would have taken measures to ensure that everyone would have it in his power not to fall victim to it. Meditations 2.11 Both Seneca and Marcus are arguing that human life is not worth living in a universe devoid of God and our ability to contemplate the divine. Epictetus echoes this sentiment. Quote, Merely to fulfill the role of a human being is no simple matter. For what is a human being? A rational and mortal creature. Someone says, first of all, what does the rational element serve to distinguish us from? From wild beasts. And from what else? From sheep and the like. Take care, then, never to be like a wild beast. Otherwise, you will have destroyed what is human in you and will have failed to fulfill your part as a human being. Take care that you never act like a sheep, or else in that way, too, you will have destroyed what is human in you. 
When is it then that we act like sheep? When we act for the sake of our belly or genitals, when we act at random or in a filthy manner or without proper care, to what level have we sunk? To that of a sheep. What have we destroyed? What is rational in us? And when we behave aggressively and harmfully and angrily and forcefully, to what level have we sunk? To that of wild beasts. There are besides some among us who are large ferocious beasts, while others are little ones, small and evil-natured, which prompt us to say, I'd rather be eaten by a lion. By all such behavior, the human calling is destroyed. Discourses 2.9, More than two millennia later, most people still follow the herd and behave like animals rather than rational humans. And philosophers still contemplate those same basic questions. What is the nature of reality? What is this festival of life all about? Is there a purpose? Is there inherent meaning? Unfortunately, many moderns neglect to ask these questions because they've been taught that there are no meaningful answers. Moreover, contemplation like this reminds us that our existential angst is lurking in the shadows of our psyche. So we choose to ignore these inquiries, following our appetites and impulses instead, and we behave like cattle and sheep. We follow the herd. We uncritically accept the worldview and values of the society in which we live. We absorb the spirit of the times without challenging the current orthodoxy. In the past, the herd followed religious orthodoxy. Today, the herd typically follows the orthodoxy of scientism, combined with the latest trendy sociopolitical theory. Neither of these paths is appropriate for the philosopher because both lead to soul-destroying behavior. They both demand that we follow the herd, which entails following authority figures rather than thinking for ourselves. Most importantly, we neglect to examine our judgments, desires, and intentions. Why? Because exposing and then changing our thought patterns is hard work, and it requires self-knowledge that we often lack. We are equally resistant to discovering and relinquishing the desire for things outside our sphere of control. These desires have driven us toward what we thought was happiness for so long that we can't even imagine abandoning them. Finally, many of us avoid examining our behavior because it may entail changes that we are simply unprepared to make. Therefore, we continue to follow the herd. We ignore or we chemically numb our troubled minds. We remain angry at God, the universe, and our fellow humans. We seek comfort, security, and belonging in the herd. Why? Because we know that if we step away from the herd and begin to follow a different path, we face what Epictetus predicted. Quote, We become an object of mockery for the crowd, just as the spectators at an ordinary festival are mocked by the traders. And even the sheep and cattle, if they had sufficient intelligence, would laugh at those who attach value to anything other than fodder. Discourses 2, 14, 29. The challenge for us moderns is to step away from the herd long enough to do a thorough self-examination, to lead an examined life. As uncomfortable as it may be, we need to hear Epictetus' diagnosis of our current state of mind. Our desires are inflamed, our aversions are low, our purposes are inconsistent, our motives are out of harmony with nature, and our opinions are ill-considered and mistaken. Discourses 2, 14, 22. That diagnosis is harsh. The medicine is bitter, and the path to recovery will be long and occasionally quite challenging. However, the alternative is much worse. 
Stoicism offers a path away from the herd. The Stoic path leads toward moral excellence and the accompanying state of well-being. The first step on the Stoic path requires an entirely different perspective on this festival that we call life. The Stoic path begins by taking a cosmic view of events and learning to discern and accept what is in our power and what is not. Then we can begin to discipline our sense, desires, and impulses to act, to bring them into accord with nature. If you are ready to separate yourself from the herd and start, or maybe restart your journey on the path of the Stoic Prokopton, you'll find some guidance in the Path of the Prokopton series within this podcast. As I've said many times before, the Stoic path is not easy. Whenever you see the herd migrating in a particular direction, you can reasonably be sure of one thing. There is little wisdom, virtue, or well-being where that herd is headed. They are looking for fodder, money, pleasure, fame, fortune, power, and the myriad of other externals that are not up to us. The Stoics encourage us to break away from the herd and give some serious consideration to those questions that Epictetus and Seneca thought so critical to human well-being. Give the traditional Stoic path a try. You might be surprised what you'll find there. You may just find what you've been seeking all along, a meaningful life in a rational and divine cosmos. And if you're already on the Stoic path, continue to consider the cosmos that we live in the divine cosmos that we live in, and consider your relationship with that cosmos. Then, and only then, will you set your practice of Stoicism on fire. Thank you for listening to Stoicism on Fire. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That tells others that this podcast is worth listening to and helps introduce more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you're interested in exploring traditional Stoicism further, you will find plenty of resources at traditionalstoicism.com. If you're ready for an online mentored training program, check out the College of Stoic Philosophers at collegeofstoicphilosophers.org. That is where I received my initial education and training in the theory and practice of Stoicism. If you're interested in a social media environment where you can find some like-minded fellow travelers, join us on Facebook in the traditional Stoicism group. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, send me an email at chris at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue practicing the traditional form of Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.